All right, I need the teenagers who are going to help me out. If you'd come on down. Stay here. All the teenagers that have helped me out, come on down. I need a few more than just two. All right, come on down. I'm not going to bite. You won't get paid for this, but I can use your help. All right? Y'all, a whole just grab it on either side of, of the rope there, okay? And I need, sorry, if you'll come right here. Just grab right there. Good. We're, again, let me get you on this side, Sawyer. Okay. Now, if you'll look at what they're doing, I'm going to be at the head of the line. They're holding on either side. Now, if you've ever seen a group of children, particularly preschoolers, the teacher gets on the front and pulls, goes this way, you follow me, and then folks or our kids are on either side like they are, okay? And got to do this simple thing, just come in my direction, okay? All right. Very good. Very good. Thank you. All right. You can go be seated. Oh. Next week, I'll draft adults to help out in that exercise, all right? <laughs> We're seeing how well you can accomplish compared to a preschooler. <laughs> now, what they did there is illustrate how you and I live the will of God. We tend to put all the emphasis a lot of times on how do I know the will of God, but knowing the will of God and living the will of God are two different things. It's very possible to know God's will and not live God's will. In fact, a lot of times we say, how can I know the will of God when more than we would like to acknowledge, we got a pretty good idea of what God's will is or what we think His will might be, but we're not so sure we really want to live His will. You see, in living His will, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says we have to do basically two things. Number one, we've got to have character. The character is like the strength of the rope. If the rope is weak, if the rope breaks, if the rope disintegrates, then you can't stay in the line. You can't follow the leader. And if our character begins to disintegrate, we're not going to be able to follow Jesus. We're not going to live the will of God. More important than knowing what God wants us to do is being who God wants us to be. In fact, it's impossible to know God's will and live God's will if I'm not first becoming who God wants me to become. And that's like the rope, the strength of it. But notice that when these group of teens got together that I had them all together holding it. The rope could only stay together as the group together held the rope. And living God's will is about being connected to each other. It's not how well we can solo it. A lot of times we try to go at it by ourselves. But in Romans 12, we're going to see that Paul is saying that if you want to live the will of God, if we are to live out God's will, then we've got to do it together. We have to be connected to each other. And as we are connected to each other, then we follow Jesus. Because you see, Jesus is not calling us apart from one another. He's calling us to follow Him together. He is the lead, but He is the lead of us connected to one another another. Turn with me in your Bibles 
to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'm preaching a series of messages from this chapter, specifically looking at how do you and I know the will of God. And we saw in recent weeks that Paul begins the 12th chapter of Romans by saying to us that I want you to take your body and present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So we saw that the first step of Knowing the will of God is taking my body and presenting it to Him because my body, as we saw, is the instrument of our souls. If I'm going to serve the Lord and follow the Lord and live out the will of God, I've got to do it with this body that He's given us. Then he goes on in verse 2, he says, Don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world shape you and mold you into what it wants you and I to become so that we reflect and look like it. We're not clay in the world's hands. Rather, we are to be transformed, he says, by the renewing of our mind. And he says that as our minds are transformed after Jesus, to think after Jesus, to have attitudes like Jesus has, to treat people the way Jesus treats people, to think after Him, that as the Word of God shapes my mind, that it is then that we are able to discern what is the will of God, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, last week we looked at how he talked about how we're supposed to be connected to one another. He used the illustration of the human body. We've got arms, legs, ears, and all of that. We're all different, but we're all connected. We're all brought together in Him. Then we looked at some spiritual gifts. Let's continue with Him, because now He's going to move from discovering the knowledge of God's will, what God's will is, to actually living God's will. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's two verses that are part of 13 challenges that Paul gives in the latter half of the 12th chapter of Romans. We're going to begin looking at those challenges today. But folks, if we could start living this out, not only will we begin to live the will of God, but we wouldn't just begin to live the will of God as individuals. We would begin to live out the will of God as His people. God is very concerned and determined that we live out His will as the body of Christ, not just as individual believers. We're not going to live out His will apart from the body of Christ. That's a big part of what He's trying to teach us in verse 9 and following. First of all, notice what He says, let love be genuine. And my sermon outline is contained on the back of your bulletin. Let love be genuine. The word genuine there is from the Greek word hypocrites, from which we get our English word hypocrite. And what he's saying there is, don't let your love be an act. Don't be faking it, in other words. Be genuine. Don't let what you call expressions of your love be a show. Just be an act. Now, I want to 
specify something before I say what I'm going to say, so you won't think too bad of me, okay? I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. I am Southern by birth, and I grew up as a Southerner in the South. But we Southerners are some kind of good at faking it with our Southern charm. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, we know how to walk up to people and lay a smile on them and the syrup just rolls off of our lip. And the whole time we're thinking, that's the biggest jerk i ever seen in my life. But our culture teaches us that we're just supposed to just, you know, be so nice and warm and charming in front of people. Have you ever heard the expression, they were hugging me and putting a knife in my back at the same time? Well, that's exactly what our culture... And have you ever had somebody come up to you and just say nice things to you and you walk off and you think, well, I wonder what they're up to. (laughs) There's some agenda attached to that, and I know there's got to be. Well, you see, that's what he's talking about here. He says, don't let your love... Be just a show. Be hypocritical that you're putting a charm on, but there's no sincerity to it. When I love people, am I doing it to create a debt so that they will have to owe me? You always know when we played that game, when we've done something nice for somebody and they don't do something nice back to us and we get attitude about it. What that's telling me is the reason I really did it was to create a debt there that they got to pay me back. And now that they're not paying me back, i got an attitude about it. Why did I do it in the first place? You owe me. When I do what I do in love, but it's to really make me look good, draw attention to myself, or when it's done to create a codependent relationship. Now, in this day and age of social media, I think we are more susceptible to this than ever. Because everything that we do can now be captured in some capacity and broadcast to the world. I mean, if I go out and do something good for you, but I capture it on a selfie and put it on YouTube, then everybody's going to know about it. So it's very easy for my motives now to become, how many people are going to see this And how wonderful things are they going to think about me? And where can this get me? You see, part of what the Lord wants us to do, I believe, is do a lot of good things for people that nobody other than Him, them, and He knows about. That we don't do everything we do to get a selfie out of it, to get it on YouTube for folks to know about it. That we don't get ticked off if we don't get awarded for it or people don't applaud us for it. He's saying, let your love be genuine. Don't fake it. Do it where nobody sees what's going on. The worst example of this was Judas when he walked up to Jesus and planted a kiss on him, which in those days was a way of saying to someone, I'm connected to you, I'm close to you, I'm pledging myself to you, when in reality he was betraying Jesus with a kiss. D.L. Moody, the evangelist of the 1800s, said this. I love this. Being the hypocrite is talking cream when you're living skim milk. Talking cream when you're living skim milk. He says, let your love be genuine. Don't be the hypocrite. Don't be the fake. And then notice what he says next. Abhor evil. 
Now, I want you to write this down about evil. The word evil here, the idea of the Greek word that he uses here for evil is not some horrible, terrible thing. It is the idea of something being malignant. It is the idea just like if you have a malignancy in your body that does what? It slowly eats away at your body. The malignancy itself is worthless. The organs in your body are of high worth and value. They keep you living, but a malignancy is worthless. The only thing that it does is destroy the body. And the idea here of the word evil is that evil is anything that attaches itself to our life and drains life of life. It drains us of life. It drains us of energy. Back in the 18, 17 and 1800s, when doctors didn't know any better, they used to use leeches to do what they call bleed people. The idea was that if you put a leech on a person and sucked the blood out of their body, got all the disease out of their body. Now, in reality, what they were doing was only weakening people and hastening their death, but they thought they were helping them. And you see, this is what evil does to us in our lives. It just literally drains life out of us. It sucks life out of us. Notice what he says to do about the evil. He says, abhor it. The Lord's Prayer, the last request of the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Abhor it. Have an aversion to it. Now, why is he telling us to do this? Because when you and I toy with evil, when we have that thing we take into our lives that becomes so important to us and it's draining life, what it's doing is it's eating and chewing away at love. And so the longer I toil with it, my ability to love people in my life slowly begins to be destroyed. Follow me on this. If Satan wants to destroy your marriage, he's not going to walk in and give you a temptation on top of a temptation that's going to destroy your marriage just like that. What he will do almost nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, is he gets something in our lives that we begin to toy with in our minds. We begin to look over here. We begin to look over there. And little by little, it begins to eat away at love. And little by little, we don't love our spouse the way we used to love our spouse. We don't want to spend time with them the way we used to. They are not the foremost love of our life. Something else is creeping in there. That's why he says abhor it, have an aversion to it, run in the other direction. Listen, none of us is going to be able to face temptation and face temptation successfully. The best thing you and I can do with temptation is turn around and run in the other direction. When we think we're strong enough to sit there and play with it, toil with it, and not fall into it, we're going to fall into it every time. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive. To Christ. Because you see, it's that one thought that I let take root in my life. It's that one place that I sort of compromise and start walking away from Jesus on. That once it takes root, it goes off. And that's why he says, take every thought captive to Christ. Every thought has got to be captive to the Lord Jesus. Satan loves to distort. And he tells us that What is really lust is love. Have you noticed in our culture today, we never talk about lust. Everything is love. Why? Because Satan has done such a good job of distorting what love is. 
And so we're calling lust, love. Satan always sells a lie. He says, abhor it, get rid of it. About three years ago on a Sunday night, we were living in Chesapeake while I was pastoring at the time, and my wife told me she was going to stop by a certain restaurant on the way home and get dinner. And I had a meeting, and I said, fine, I look forward to eating dinner when you get back. So when I got home, so I got home that night, and she'd gone by this restaurant and, and got this food and put it out. Uh, it was a Chinese, little hole-in-the-wall Chinese place we had there in South Norfolk. Now, I, I'm not in any way trying to throw down on Chinese food, okay? But uh, got the food, and we ate it. And uh, in particular, I love egg rolls. And uh, I got an egg roll in addition to what I ate, ate it, and, and Helen didn't get an egg roll. She ate something else. And about 20 minutes or so after we ate, I was sitting there watching television, and my stomach began to feel a little queasy. Have you ever had that happen? The first thing you do is go into denial. I didn't really feel what I think I just felt. And then it felt a little bit more queasy. And it was, and so I thought, well, I'm going to go take a bath, because sometimes if I'm not feeling good and I take a nice, relaxing bath. So I got in the bathtub, and I laid back in the bathtub, and I was trying to relax, and I just got progressively feeling more and more queasy. So I got out of the bathtub, and I went and laid in the guest bedroom. And then by that point, it was about 45 minutes in, and it was kicking in big time then. I was really starting to feel sick. And if you've ever had food poisoning, when that stuff kicks in, it does not play around. And I was getting about turning green. I remember I, Helen had gone to bed, and she was in the bed asleep. And my son was in the other part of the house. And at this point, I couldn't even stand up straight. I was feeling so bad. I remember I limped in there, and I went to Jonathan, and I said, you need to call your mother and get your mother up as fast as possible. And, and I limped back into the bathroom, and Jonathan ran in there and got Helen up. And man, for the next 20 to 30 minutes, it was no holes barred, et cetera. I won't give you the details because I don't want to make you sick, but et cetera. Now, if I had, the best thing I could do is trace it to that egg roll. Had I known that that food had bacteria in it and was food poisoning, I would have avoided that stuff like crazy. But let me tell you what I did do. I didn't go back to that restaurant and even buy a fortune cookie for the rest of the time we lived in Chesapeake. I'm not going back in there, etc. And see, what he talks about here when he says, abhor evil, he's saying, number one, sniff out and realize where the soul poisoning is. And don't even go to the restaurant where it's being served. Stay away from it. Then notice what he says. He says, hold fast to what is good. Now, what is good? What is the definition of good? The definition of good is the character of God. God is the standard, the definition of what is good. If you want to boil it down, the Ten Commandments are the spoken goodness of God, direction He gives for us to how to live good, and the life of Jesus is how good plays itself out. Just that simple. Study the life of Jesus. Live like Him. 
follow the Ten Commandments. You're going to have a good handle on what it means to be good. But notice what he says. He says, hold fast to what is good. Now, if you, put, if you like to write stuff in your Bible on your notes, I want you to write the word gorilla glue down, okay? I want you to write the two words gorilla glue because literally the idea is that let good stick to you. Let good be like gorilla glue on you. And that is that, that, that the good sticks to me and I stick to it. And I'm not only knowing good, I am living it out. That's the character. Now notice verse 10. Paul says, next, you and I are to be connected to each other. Notice the words that he uses in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. The two words there, love and brotherly, are two Greek words that are used to speak of blood relationships with people. One of them is the word Philadelphia. And the idea of these words is that you're related to somebody. And what he's basically saying is this. Treat your brothers and sisters in Christ like they're kinfolk. Now, I realize for some that may be a dangerous thing to do, all right? But in the good, healthy family, he's saying treat each other like your kinfolk, like you are connected to each other. It's like the love of a parent for a child, sticking with the child, no matter what. It means going the distance, just because they're family. You see, in family, we love each other and accept each other, not because the other person looks good, not because the other person does something for us, not because they're popular or they got money. We just love them and relate to them because what? Because they are family. We're connected to them because they are family. About three or four years ago, I had seen my cousin, uh, one of my cousins who uh, lives in Alta Vista in years and years. And I got his phone number and I called him up and I said, I want to go down on the farm there in Gretna where we had spent a whole lot of time uh, as cousins growing up. And I said, I'd love to see you. And he says, well, I'm going to be down there cutting grass on Saturday afternoon. So I went over there. I hadn't seen Lynn in, I bet, almost 20 years. But I remember when I got down there that afternoon, I walked up, and we shook hands, and we just clicked in just like that. And I, we walked around the farm for about an hour or so and talked. He got on the phone, and he says, I want you to see some other folks. And he called some of my second cousins up that live in Gretna, and he called them up, and some of them I'd never met. And they came over. And I remember standing there on that farm with Lynn and with some of my second cousins and some of them, like I said, I'd never seen before, but it was just like we were all together, known each other all our lives. And I remember thinking, why is this? Because I was family. That's what made all the difference. I was family, and they were family. And what Paul is saying here is, you're family. We are family. What connects us to one another is we have the same Heavenly Father. What connects us to one another is that we have been saved by the same blood shed on the cross. What connects us to one another is Jesus. And He's at the lead, and we are following Him together. 
So he says, treat each other like that. Relate to each other like that. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, outdo one another. Be the leader to one another and outdoing each other and honoring each other. He's saying, you take the lead in showing honor to the other person. And what does that look like? That's tough. Because if I follow what he's saying here, it means that I look at my brother and my sister in Christ and I am willing for them to take the credit, not me take the credit. I am willing for them to receive the honor instead of me receiving the honor. Now, folks... What do most of us do most of the time? We go off and we do something good and the other person shared in a little bit and what do we think? Man, I put more sweat and blood into this than they did, so I better get recognized for it. And then if they get recognition and we don't get recognition, what do we do? We tend to get jealous and envious of them and then we want to trash talk them. Well, they, you know, they're getting all this honor, but they didn't really do anything. I was the one who did it all, etc. How many times have we played that game? What he's saying here is... Give credit to the other person. Now, I've been a pastor for going on 30 years. I've reached a place I hate when we hand out certificates sometimes to people or recognize people for stuff. And the reason I've, I've, I just don't enjoy it is because I know I'm going to leave out somebody. And you usually find out pretty quick who you left out. <laughs> if you've ever been on the end of the, doing the handing out, what you want to do as soon as the program is over with is hit the door and get in your car and get out of the parking lot as fast as you can and turn your cell phone off because you're going to hear from whoever didn't get honored that thought they should have gotten honored. And what Paul is saying here is if they hand out the certificates or the gift cards or whatever they're getting and you don't get squat, don't get an attitude about it. You say, praise God, they got honored and Jesus got glorified and that is all that matters. It doesn't matter whether I got recognition or not. It doesn't matter where I was top dog. If God wants me to play second fiddle, then I'm going to play second fiddle because as I'm paying second fiddle to His honor and to His glory and the message of the good news of Jesus gets out, that's all that matters. Because if I got to play first fiddle all the time so everybody can see me, all I'm going to do is sit up there with sour notes, one right after the other. Because it's all about me and not about the other person. So he says, I want you to be the lead. Take the lead in showing honor to your brothers and your sisters. Folks, it also means that we got to get over taking ourselves so seriously and being so hypersensitive. As long as Jesus is honored and other folks are helped, that is all that matters. So let's ask ourselves this morning, how strong is the rope we're holding? Where's our character? And are we holding on, following Jesus, staying connected to each other? Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we want to invite you to do spiritual surgery on us. To, Lord, show us the places in our lives where we are so caught up on ourselves
and it's disconnecting us from the other members of the body of Christ because we are so super connected into us. God, help us to lay self aside, to take the lead in honoring other people. Lord, teach us, develop within us an abhorrence of whatever it is in our lives that is working to drain life from us, hope from us, energy from us, love from us, commitment that we should have in relationships, and it's just eating away at it. Lord, remind us by the power of the Spirit within us that every thought has to be taken captive to Jesus. our heads bowed and our eyes closed in the moments we share an invitation I want to invite you in prayer to say Lord you point out wherever it is in my life that I'm entertaining evil I'm not abhorring it and develop within me Lord that aversion to the evil and Lord Help me be connected to the body of Christ. Teach me what it is, Lord, to honor the others above myself. To think of you and to think of them before I think of me. Show me what it means to take that step. And if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, choose to take the rope and follow Him, then I want to invite you in just a moment as, as we sing to walk the aisle of this church, I would love to pray with you about making life's most important decision, and that is to follow Jesus. If you sense that God is speaking to you and saying, I want you to take the rope here and join with these folks in following Lord Jesus, in this place, and I invite you to come and join with us as we hold the rope together and follow Him. If God is speaking to you and saying that I, I want you in the ministry, some capacity, you may not know exactly know what it is, but you know that God's placing that call on your life and you need to yield to it and surrender to it and say, yes, Lord, that I invite you to do that. Lord, have your way with us in these moments when we now respond to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand together and come if you will.